everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. Uh, something a little bit different tonight. Uh, Liverpool find themselves well, eight points clear, top of the Premier League, an international break, game at the weekend against United. And, you know, with, since it is international break, we decide we'd maybe take a bit of a different look and a bit of a different take on, um, on, on the psychology around what Klopp has done here in the four years. It's, it's also close to his four-year, or just past his fourth-year anniversary. So, since we have someone who is a psychologist as part of the, the podcast, we decided we would do a little bit of a pod. But first up, before I introduce him, I have the two pod regulars with me. First up, Berlin, Neil Patterson, Chief. How are you? Having withdrawal symptoms from no football? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm well, thanks. But, um, not, you know, nice to be on and, and looking forward to a weekend of, of Premier League football. The international break was, I'm not really in there, international football anyway, and and it didn't go particularly well for Northern Ireland anyway. Um, although we did all right and then got battered in injury time. So yes. <laughs> that wasn't wasn't so great. I but don't of want course, to talk about uh, it. <laughs> yeah, not so good. But of course, a, a couple of Liverpool players did really well. Gini Wijnaldum had a great international break again. So um, fair play to him. Uh, but no, really happy to be back on and looking forward to Man United at the weekend. Uh, aren't we all? Dave, yourself, all good with you? No, I've had an absolutely terrible international break. I've been absolutely traumatized by well, the goings on. It's been a while since I've it's been a while since I've like watched the team like lose that I wanted to win. So it was particularly hard to take. Hopefully I'll be able to watch my team win at the weekend. Have you been going there? You've been you've been going to those games long enough to know what to expect, you know, plucky contenders and Oh, I know, Dave, but you know yourself, it's the hope that kills you. Uh, it's the hope that kills you. And so much, so there was, at, 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 for five glorious minutes, there was just, there was so much hope. <laughs> oh, well, it's gone. Let go of it, Dave. You know what I mean? It's, it's, until the next one. Um, I don't think we're getting anywhere. But more, to more pressing matters, uh, our, our third and final on the panel tonight is Bear All Out in... At Holland, of all places, Dave, <laughs> to re-traumatize Dave. Hi, are you, Beryl? Uh, I'm fine, thank you, and uh, I feel uh, I feel with you. I sympathize. Yeah, well, you're yeah, you're, sure, you're, sure. <laughs> well, you only live there. You're you're not actually Dutch, so well, uh, Dave's trauma might not last too long. But listen, anyhow, we'll get into the topic matter, and you know, we we start basically four years ago, whenever Klopp came in, and and he arrived to a very very disjointed Liverpool. There was a huge disconnect. You know, I, I know a lot of people who went to games and whatnot, and the, the, the atmosphere in the ground was was poor. And there was no belief in 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 the ability of Liverpool to keep a lead. This was this was something that was transmitted to the players from the crowd. This anxiety, and you know, it went on for long enough during the Rodgers era uh, towards the end. Beryl, we we saw Klopp come in, and from day one there seemed to be a new mentality. Klopp seemed to come in with a psychology, you know, all of his own. He had his own blueprint, he had his own way of doing it, and he started to imprint it on us as fans from, from day one. How, how, how did you sort of see that? You know, first of all, he, he came to Liverpool, and, and, I, and I think, uh, I think he, he, he made a conscious choice to go to Liverpool because, you know, Liverpool is very much like, like Dortmund in, in many ways. It's, it's not only a, a, a hugely popular club, but, but also a club that uh, historically underachieved, but uh, one of its main qualities is 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 the support it gets and it can get and when he arrived clear that was something he could improve 
it was clear that that he planned to do that from from day one. Yeah, I agree. We, we saw that, and, and there was basically the charm offensive uh, within the media that, that went on, obviously with Klopp's arrival, and you know, as as with with all new managers. But I think that he was a little different in how how he came into Liverpool, and I, I know that there was, you know, there were several instances of no rival fans to find it funny or ridiculed or 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 made little of the fact that that Klopp was going about his business unifying number one the team and number two the fans connecting back with the team and and you know we saw the the, the draw i think with with west brom he, he took the players to the cop after a draw and you know as i say rivals reveled in it but again this was the, this was the start of of, of this blueprint well, what's your thinking around that there are several things there i think what he emphasized and we heard this from him last year as well is that you should celebrate the process and and not the result. You know, football is a low-scoring game, so chance, randomness uh, uh, has has a, has a huge impact on the result. So you should look at uh, how you performed. And and uh, uh, we were ridiculed for for celebrating a draw against West Brom, but that wasn't what we were celebrating. We were celebrating the fact that we we were behind and. And we were unlucky, and and everything was uh, seemed to go wrong, but we still managed to draw, and and uh, and with with the support of the of the supporters who had previously left the, the stadium early, etc. So I think that was what he was celebrating there, and he wanted to celebrate that with with the supporters because he believed, I think, that they were a part of that turnaround of of that equalizer, and and not because he thought. You know, one one against, or was it one one two two? I I, I can't remember. So, but so he was law. Do you think he was law? You know, really bigging up, making big of you know, coming back the fighting spirit. This is what we want to instill. This is what we want to bring to you as fans. You know, we fought back today. This is the start of the road. Yeah, not only that, I think, but the role the supporters had um, played in that, and because I, I thought it was previous game it could have been against Crystal Palace or something. That the uh, supporters had left early, and he was he was pissed off about this, and uh, and and this time they didn't leave early, uh, although things were going wrong, and and uh, I, I think he tried to connect the team with the supporters and and show them that they were a part of this and that they needed to play their part if if we were to be successful. So I think that was what was being celebrated there, the the, the creation of the bond between or, or the the restoration of the bond between between uh, players and, and, and supporters. Uh, so, yeah, and, and uh, I don't know if he has studied this, and, and I'm, I'm sure he did, but there's also probably some instinct going on there. But it seems that he, he, he struck a chord. I, I, I don't know of, of many examples of, of coaches doing this and, and, and how, how, how well you can orchestrate it, but this was the moment to do this. And, and although we got ridiculed and there was all, all sorts of discussion about small-time club uh, mentality, this is not what we do in this country, etc. I, I heard that, that kind of, uh, of comments, especially from the pundits, the, the Danny Mills types. Let, let's call them that. I think he was he was he was trying to achieve that the supporters knew not only that they could expect uh, something from the team, but also that they should play their role and spur the team on to equalize. Not only by believing, but also by supporting them when things are going wrong. Dave, I'm going to drag you in at this point. We weren't unhappy. We got Klopp, blah, blah, blah. You know, we knew there was there was a project. We knew it ha- had to work. But what Klopp took over, and, you know, you were you were across at games during that time and whatnot. 
Anfield was not not the happy place that we would associate it today with, you know. And, and and certainly we have Jay in the pod uh, who who goes to every home game, and you know he he's spoken about you know during that time and whatnot and how 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 flat the ground was and, and just you know that that people just if, if if we struggled they just went on a downer and and basically stayed quiet. That was Klopp's first hurdle. That was that to break you know to break through. It was to get the crowd on on board because he realised the power of the stadium if it's united basically. Well, yeah, it was one of the first things he said when he came into the club, wasn't it? Um, with his his doubters to believers speech, and it's been a constant theme in Klopp's narrative throughout his tenure as to how the crowd can influence the team and how they can be the fabled. Uh, and cliche 12th man. And I think we know ourselves, like deep down, that it can make a difference. And teams coming to Anfield, you know, on those nights, it's not because of the pitch and it's not because of the, you know, the location or the fucking length of the grass or the fucking colour of the netting. It's because of the people inside the stadium. And, and that's what makes it such a difficult place to come and play. And, you know, there's various recent examples of that. Um, you know, Barcelona, Dortmund, Chelsea, you know, even City, you know, there's countless of them. And he has continued to reference this throughout his entire time. And he, he's made um, comments even recently about how the football club is made up of quality and supporters and emotion um, and how without one of those, the, the whole system falls apart. So. For me, in retrospect, it's it's very much always been at the core of his of his thinking and one of his key strategies um, to gain. If you you know, and you, if you want, you can refer that back to the marginal gains conversation that we totally have. And and for us, that's a really significant gain that we have over the likes of Manchester City because they just don't have that. And as far as the the West Brom celebrating two two, I think. The reaction to that was very much a symptom of, of the short-sightedness in football and people looking at him celebrating the fact that we got a last-minute 2-2 draw at home to West Brom. And yes, that's nothing really to be particularly proud of. But I think it was the fact that it was, I think it was two late goals that the crowd was still inside the stadium. And I think it was that recognition that this is a situation that if you lot and the guys in the pitch all stick together. We can, you know, rescue a situation from the apparent jaws of defeat. And that's what they did. And you only need to look back last season at the amount of late winners we got and turnarounds and, you know, I think most points from from losing positions and all this type of thing. So um, it continues to transmit through the squad and, and through the performances on and off the pitch. No, I hear you on that. I agree with with everything that you say there, Dave. But Beryl, fucking I hell! Go, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a first, but we're not talking about anything controversial. But yeah, and you even mentioned that Adam Lallana, and you got away with that. One. <laughs> but I, I want to come to Beryl because there's a psychology involved in turning that group of players around. The player, the group of players that that Rogers left, basically, who we as fans, there was various different players who whose commitment, mentality, abilities were questioned by, by us as fans during that time. And I, I, it can't all be psychology. 
although it will play a part in it, to turn that situation, to get all of those players on board. I know if you get a new manager, you get a bounce and you get a kick to start. But this, there was something about this barrel to me anyhow, and I'm looking back in four years. There's nothing random about this. This was this was something. This was planned. It was like it was like years in the making. Even though we know it probably wasn't. Klopp had an ability to go in there and basically turn the minds of the players from 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 that team that was two you know two 0 behind coming back and having to having to, to score to, to come back to two each. And something in his words and something that he said and the methods seemed to stick after that. And and we have been on a steady curve basically from then there are a couple of factors in play here i think if i have to order it i think that the first thing that was needed and that is needed in, in such a process is is someone who is who is genuine so you need to believe him right so he, he needs to say things and you need to believe him you know brendan rogers said all all sorts of things and but uh, in the latter days nobody would you believed. buy a used car off that man because i would <laughs> I wouldn't even buy a new car of them, so uh, let etc. And he, with he, I mean, Jurgen Klopp is is seems to be entirely genuine, and this is something which is rare in 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 normal life. But you know, uh, the more you get higher up, uh, the less genuine people tend to get, is my experience. But he seems to be genuine, and and uh, you know, in his first press conference, he referred to himself as the normal one. And and I think he he is normal uh, in 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 certain sense in a certain sense in a, in a different sense he is. He's, but, he's, but was that Beryl? Do you not think that normal one was you know Mourinho was in the Premier League at that time? So yeah. was it a sideways swipe at him on his arrival? Well, not so much as a, a swipe, but more to assert his his identity and by making clear how he differs from or from in this case Mourinho. But you know. Calling yourself the special one means that you're a very arrogant person, and and at least you are trying to get across that persona that, that you are. A, 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 I don't know if 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 Mourinho is in person uh, that arrogant as he uh, pro- projects himself. Uh, I think only in English. When he speaks English, he you know when he when he's speaking Portuguese, I, I've listened to a number of interviews with him. Beryl, he comes across as a different person, and I know you know from speaking two languages myself. You are a different person in a different language, so that maybe comes yeah, into yeah. it as well. I I, th- I, th- I also think he also think he he poses, you know, he he because he he doesn't have a CV as 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 an ex footballer, so he he needed to assert himself, and and this was probably the way he chose to do it, and and, and maybe he believed in his own hype that that there's something special about it. But you know, if, if you are that successful, uh, uh, and Mourinho, Klopp, uh, Ancelotti. Whoever, if you're that successful in, in a job, and in this case, uh, football management, there is something special about you, but you don't need to say that yourself. So, And I think what, what Klopp tried to do there was, you know, say, OK, don't expect me to be the circus act you see in, in, in other clubs. But I, I, I want to be a normal guy. I think everything he, he has done from that day on shows that, that he is genuine, that he's authentic, I believe. There was this incident, not not so much an incident, but uh, they had a video uh, footage of the uh, Red Bull Salzburg manager, his speech during 
the the half time when they were trailing three one against us in the Champions League, right? You, you've seen this, Jeff, Jesse March, I believe he is, and he was, you know, he had this very agitated speech and trying to to rally his troops and, and try to instill self belief in them, etc. But and so they asked Klopp about this, and and the only thing he said was, if this were to happen in this club, I would leave the club. I, and and some people were were doubting that. So why would you leave? It's it's interesting for for supporters to see what happens in the in the changing room. And but uh, uh, I think this is part of of him being genuine. He he really would leave because he believes this is a sport. And he believes this is something you know you, you do to uh, you, you play matches. You do, you don't perform a, a show. And if you start doing this kind of thing, it, it, it becomes a show and he wouldn't be able to, to do what he does. And, you know, this is a, a very long winding answer. But to get back to your to your to your question, uh, the first thing he, he did was uh, convince the players that he was genuine or everything he said was the same as what he did, as what he would do and that he wouldn't say different things in different places. And then he uh, managed to convince them of the fact that if they were uh, they they would play together as a team they would be able to achieve things because um, you know what's what's most striking i think is when you look at uh, which players we have bought and during his tenure but also before that but uh, looking at these players how many of them have have risen from uh, good players to to world class players. You know, even someone like uh, Mohamed Salah was wasn't considered a, a first tier player. He was, you know, he was playing at, at Roma. He had um, he had failed at, at Chelsea because Mourinho didn't give him a chance. You could say, but you know, he he had he had a good time at Roma. But he wasn't even the the, the main player at Roma. He was one of their good players. Uh, then we bought him, and and he turned into this. A fabulous player and a, a one-season wonder now performing uh, his wonders in the third season. Um, Mane was good, but he was playing at Southampton. Nobody else tried to get him, and now he is considered world-class. Uh, you know, the only players who were considered to be world-class when we bought them were Van Dijk, maybe, and even then there were doubters that thought you know the, the price we paid for him was too much. Uh, and uh, Alisson, you could say, but all, all the other players were considered to be good at best and and look at us now because uh, it's not only and this may sound as a cliche it's not only about the players or the parts of the team but you know it's about how they work together and uh, i think he's a master and he again klopp is a master in not only seeing what he can do with with such you know good parts but also uh, making the 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 people the the players believe this convincing them that you know all they need to do is work together as well as they can, and that they can achieve success. Well, he's certainly proving his point. I'll give you that. Neil, you know, you you saw a, a little bit more of Klopp. You know, you saw him at, at the end of his Dortmund time and whatnot, which wasn't salubrious, the, the, the final season. Um, you know, he, he had his troubles there. Obviously, you're not surprised Klopp has come in and had the effect, but but given his last season at Dortmund, I'm just, just wondering, is that a surprise? Not for me. I mean, his last season at Dortmund was was far different to the ones that went before. The first half of it was notoriously bad in that uh, I think they were in the relegation places at the end of the first half of the season. Obviously, in, in the Bundesliga, they take quite a long winter break. It's about about six weeks. They finish sort of mid-December and they don't start again to the end of January. 
And the second half of the season was actually almost championship, you know, championship winning form, league winning form. So they ended up, I think, finishing seventh and qualifying for the um, for the Europa League, and uh, they got beat in the final of the German Cup. So he had sort of turned it round, and you know, if you I heard something earlier and. It, I'd read something about it as well uh, previously that actually if you looked at the underlying stats for that last season, it was pretty pretty mental that, that they ended up in that position. It was, you know, expected goals and the number of injuries and all the rest pointed to the fact that um, the first half of the season was, was a bit of an anomaly. At the time, obviously, a lot of people were kind of, I suppose, questioning and wondering had, you know, the, the famous kind of, easy question had club been found out had they found a way had had teams found a way to combat the style but um if you look at the injuries they had and the shit show essentially he had to go through with with losing his best player almost literally every season i think Lewandowski had gone at that point that was the that was the summer Lewandowski went to Bayern yeah things things didn't go well in the first half, but they really did sort of turn it round. And I remember when Klopp came to Liverpool, I remember we did a pod in a build-up and, you know, I was saying this is absolutely amazing. You know, I'd written an article a few months previously when I still used to write. Fuck, that's a long time I was going to say, no, you didn't. <laughs> well, I, I don't even bother did asking back, you anymore. <laughs> I did, I published and all. <laughs> Bring Klopp to the cop, <laughs> I believe, was the headline. And uh, it was just like, Jurgen Klopp is the perfect, perfect fit for Liverpool. Obviously, at the time, I was desperate, as a lot of us were, for Brendan Rodgers to leave. Yes, he'd given us one season that was great, but he had he had gone very, very stale. And personally, I didn't want him. I didn't want to see him after the six-one at Stoke. Thought he should have actually resigned then, to be honest. But it worked out in the end and and we managed to get Klopp in and and you know by all accounts by many accounts Klopp was actually had always been FSG's kind of choice and it had to wait to get him and and you know you don't necessarily know how far back that goes but um but they got him in the end and I thought he would be the perfect fit and he has been the perfect fit and you know, he 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 obviously thought that as well. You know, because he he actually he had said he would take a season out, uh, or at least six months out, and he ended up only taking about three months out, and coming back and and you know Liverpool was the job and the type of man that he is, the type of manager that he is. He he only works with clubs that he has an affinity for, with cities cities that he can and and fans and stuff that that he can. Um, connect with there are a lot of similarities in, in in terms of the cities between liverpool and dortmund in, in terms of them being working class cities in terms of them being cities that, that live for football in terms of them having great great atmospheres and, and kind of famous atmospheres and he had the same problems in at, at dortmund when they when he started there they have a huge huge uh, capacity the yellow wall and all that but things were not going well hadn't been going well for them for a number of seasons so he had to turn them around as well, and they proved to be instrumental in Dortmund's success over the time. And you know, that's the the thing with Klopp: everything, everything that he does, and everything that he's trying to do, everything that he says can be backed up with with evidence from his previous career. He can actually show and tangible evidence of times where he's done this and it's worked. And and it's the same. We were talking kind of pre-pod about winning the Champions League after uh, and why Spurs have fallen off a cliff and how come 
we were able to to go again and come back and make sure we won it after being pipped in the final. And and you know, man, we we could have felt really sorry for ourselves, but yet again, Klopp can look back and point at his earlier career and say, yeah, well, when we were when I was um, Mainz manager, you know, we played the whole season. We were going for promotion. We missed out on promotion on the last day. The next season, we did it again. We missed we, we really small club, never been in the Bundesliga before at this time, and we missed out again on the last day. But the third season, we got up and we came back and we did it again. And then eventually getting that club in, into Europe is mental. And he, he did the same at Dortmund. You know, first season, I think they finished third. I don't know. They, they had finished 13th. I think, I think they finished sixth or something. And then after a couple of seasons, eventually they you know finished second. And we're really close. And then they came and they won the league. And they won it again. And that it's a pattern, what we're seeing here. And and the whole thing with the crowd and everything, it, it, it's all part of something that he can point to and say, look, this has worked and this does work. And, you know, it's the, the, the whole atmosphere, the whole energy around Liverpool has completely changed. And, of course, some people are still complaining. But, I mean, if you, if you actually think back, to actually where we were in that final season with Rodgers. And I mean, before Klopp came, I mean, the beginning of that season when we'd seen us fall off a cliff, when we'd seen us get smashed by Stoke, when we'd seen us lose to Palace in Gerrard's last game, when we we were signing the likes of Ben Teke and pinning our hopes on him. And we knew that Bobby Firmino was kind of a an appeasement almost and we did Rogers was playing him as a right winger and, and all the rest of it massive massive difference to where we are now and it, it all of it ties in the West Brom thing the the, the crowd stand the, the number one thing he first thing he wanted to make us was a 90 minute team a team that competes for 90 minutes and you know as we were saying it earlier we are definitely that so being the perfect fit and 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 he, he continues to be so and you know you hope it just it just goes on like this yeah i'll say i'm, I'm just more worried about his, his seven year record you know and and going but i have a there, few more seats yeah i mean there is that like but i mean it, it's also liverpool i mean yeah it's, it's where he goes Neil. that's the that's the question where would you go at this moment in time you know i know he loves a project and everything but but where would he go well, this is by far the biggest club that he's ever worked for. I mean, by far, it's his biggest job. Yes, he Dortmund, whatever. They're, they're a wonderful team, but they're not in the same league globally as as Liverpool and, and in European competition and all the rest of it. So he could very well, that that could very well prove to be a little bit different at Liverpool. We'll have to wait and see. But I suppose a lot depends also on what, what happens with, with the, the teams around and so on. I mean, is it if, it's, if it has to be as intense as it has been for the last two seasons, for the next X amount, then probably it won't go longer. But if Guardiola leaves, if City drop off a little bit, if things change, if, if it becomes a little bit less intense, and it, you, you never know. You never know. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, right? But there's... Only two ways of looking at this, I think. You talk about cycles there and patterns, Chief. Well, the pattern is that he does seven years, and that's what he does. So I personally don't expect him to go on much longer than that. You're asking where he goes, Dave. If he goes, he takes another year out. He'll be probably 50 or probably, what, 56, maybe? 57 by then? And then 
you're talking he's not retiring because the next job isn't going to be two or three years. It will be, and it, and he will need it to be seven years. So you're talking him managing up until 64, which I think he's quite categorically stated he doesn't really want to do that. So to counter that, does that open the door? He does, you know what, I'll maybe just do like nine years at Liverpool and then I'll just call it a day. But exactly. the bottom line is we, we don't need to worry about that now. We just need to enjoy what's going on and see where the rest of this cycle leads us. Absolutely. Win the league this season and see if we can retain it in the next. Steady, steady, Neil. As much as I love those words, steady. Uh, I want to go back to Beryl on uh, on Klopp again. And I'm just wondering how much this incident played into the, the sort of team bonding, the, the sort of... And, and I'm going to talk about Mamadou Sacco, who was basically removed ruthlessly. And the, the other side of Klopp, I think that... that you know, we, we, we have seen that he will not tolerate nonsense. He will be ruthless in getting rid of you. And I'm wondering, in, in your opinion, just how much of a message maybe that sent to the group, how much of a, a galvanization, how much of a, to concrete that, that group ethic. Um, you know, you realize now, if you mess about here, you know, this guy's ruthless, you're out the door. There's no, like Sacco didn't kick a ball again. It was just, it was just that. And it wasn't, it wasn't horrible what Sacco did. He was late. Fair enough. It's unprofessional. You know, he had the problems with, with taking weight, lost drugs and whatnot. Again, irresponsible. But you you know what I mean. We've seen footballers get away with much more. But Klopp made an example of this one. And I'm just wondering, does that play into the psychology of, of cementing a group? I think it does, yeah. To be honest, I, I loved Mauro Sacco. You know, I loved even his antics on this tour in which he was late. He had he was he was filming I believe with a with a GoPro camera etc and he interrupted a, an interview that Klopp was uh, was giving and and, and Klopp said I'm actually giving a, a, an interview that you are interrupting but 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 smiled and Mamadou Sako uh, kept on doing funny things etc but I don't know what, what happened behind the scenes but I think it was a confidence crisis in that because. First of all, you know, taking the the weight loss drugs, in which didn't actually amount to to really taking doping, but you know, it it, it in effect it, it cost him not only the the final of the Europa League and also afterwards the the was it the World Cup for for France in which he he would have been guaranteed a place. Going back to Liverpool, I I think maybe Klopp partly blamed losing that. Uh, final on not having uh, not having Mamadou Sako, who was his best defender at that time, when he uh, then was late for an appointment with his physio, I believe. I think that was the the straw breaking the proverbial camel's back, and uh, and and he, he had to show the group that the, that he was not to be messed with. So yeah, I think he he set him uh, an example there, and. If you look into the uh, the literature on 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 team building, but also you know in in group cohesion, you see that there are you know groups are not just a couple of individuals huddled together. There needs to be forces that keep them together. You know, just as in physics, things uh, stay together, uh, molecules etc. stay together because there are forces that are keeping them together. Uh, the same goes for groups. And so there there needs to be something that keeps them together, or otherwise the group will fall apart. And I think in, in the latter days of, of Brendan Rodgers, the group had fallen apart, because otherwise you don't lose 6-1. That's only one example of in which this showed. But if we say that, that what Klopp is trying to do 
is not trying to find the the the, the eleven best individuals to to play for his team, but to get the best out of the the individuals he he already has. The group has to be the most important part. So the group priorities need to be most important. And uh, I think Mamoru Sako was an example uh, of someone who who didn't seem to uh, understand that that he needed to show that he understood that the group was more important than him and and i i was i was struggling to think of other plays that that club removed but i i remembered that balotelli was loaned out and he could have come back but it, it was it was made made very clear that he would have no place in his team i i think uh, you know another player who who doesn't seem to grasp the fact that 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 uh, football is a team sport we can only evaluate this uh, in hindsight and think, okay, uh, Mamadou Sako was our best defender, but you know we 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 have managed quite well without him, and and he hasn't managed that well without us. Sad for him, but uh, I think this is a very important part of of group building. Yeah, I think you need to establish a certain authority. You need to establish a certain hierarchy, uh, and within that. Uh, hierarchy. If 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 you abide to that uh, hierarchy, if you comply, you could say, then there are certain benefits. Uh, I think he, uh, Klopp is not only ruthless, but he's also fiercely loyal. I think uh, someone like Lalana wouldn't have uh, been at the club if he wasn't loyal. There are players who don't get much playing time, but are considered um, to be group members and, and important group members. So they they, they must play different roles but i think that's that's another part of of group building you you need to you need to you know especially because you can only play 11 to 14 players a a game Uh, and in in the premier league every game is important and in the champions league uh, you know um, maybe slightly less so in the in the group stages but but still so you you can't just give give uh, match time to players because you like them and you want them to to stay happy so you 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 need to find other ways to to let them feel happy, and uh, I think that's something else he does, and and he he seems to be a master in in doing this. Beryl, I don't know what your own thoughts are, but but I think he's just incredibly honest. I think he's incredibly frank and incredibly honest, and and I think he's the type of person who can probably do a bad news message very well. Yeah, I, you know, uh, as we say, uh, as said. Uh, before I, I think he's authentic. He's he's absolutely genuine. And if you want to be a liar, <laughs> you need to have a very good memory. And and you need to be if you want to manipulate, you need to think. I don't know a a, a couple of manipulations ahead because everything has its consequences. And and you can only play any every trick only one time. So you know that's a very complex thing to do. So and the other way to, of doing things is just saying what you think and being genuine about things. So uh, I, I probably think he says to an example, Jardin Shakiri, who played a role last year. And, and, and to be fair with him, he played a very big role in, 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 a, in, in what could be our, could have been our, our most important match last year. But, you know, in general, he, he didn't get ma- ma- much match time. So uh, I think he, he tells him wh- why he doesn't play. And I, I think he makes clear to him what he needs to do to, to get more time. But, you know, also tells him that Mo Salah wants to play every game because he wants to be a, 
top scorer and he won't get much game time unless they, uh, uh, you know, something happens or we start playing differently. I think that's the way to convince players that, you know, that that, that, that manager is not playing games with them, but is only thinking about what uh, has to achieve. And, and in that sense, the priorities of the individuals are less important than the group priorities. So, yeah, I think he's... He must be genuine. That, that's the only way you can pull this off, uh, especially when you want to do it seven years, uh, as was mentioned before, and, and less so uh, uh, instead of uh, three years like Mourinho and Guardiola generally do. Dave, Beryl has touched on something I want to bring you into it. It's a thought that just jumped through my head while Beryl was speaking there and about, you know, if you, if you look at it, if you, if you go back to basically Hodgson, you know, after Rafa Benitez, you know, you'd Hodgson, and then it was followed by, you know, a brief period with Kenny, who came in to study the ship and, and who had everyone's respect. There was probably no issues there. Then followed by Rogers. And, you know, over the course of the 30 years that we have not been that successful, you know, there's I think there's been an erosion of values. And, you know, while Kenny was there, I think they stepped it up again, although the, 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 the Suarez T-shirts were questionable, in my opinion, still. Um, even though the incident was ridiculous, the, 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 the T-shirts were questionable during that time. But I just feel that maybe Liverpool didn't have that, you know, that very strict line that appears to be there now. And maybe that Mamadou Saka was, was, was a victim of that. And he had to be the fall guy for that in order to bring the ship to stop it listing and to bring it right in the water. And if it has been that, you know, and I was, I was critical at the time I was very critical about losing Sacco but you know if we if we look at it today and, and we look at it in that train of thought it's not a bad thing well let's be honest Dave Mohamedou Sacco was a victim of no one but himself or nothing but himself and the fact that he didn't as, as Beryl mentions there he did not respect the core values that the club was trying to instill so um, but, but the had, point I'm making Dave is that he was basing that on his past experiences where, you know, we, we're going to do this and we're going to do it, but it never happens. You know, we all the, the, the stuff that was that's bundled out whenever you're the plucky contender as opposed to the, the real deal. Sorry, I don't really understand what you mean. You know, that basically that discipline may have been lacking prior to clocks coming because, as I say, you'd Hodgson where the wheels were off. You'd Kenny who steadied it a wee bit, but we always knew it was never going to be permanent. Then you'd the, the Rogers era. Maybe Sacco, maybe Sacco thinks to himself, ah, yeah, I can get away with this stuff. I don't know. It take it takes time to instill those sorts of core values in a club. And Klopp's managed to do this. And he's, he's needed time to do it. And he's done it far more quickly, realistically, if you think about it, th- than he should have been able to. But going back, Dave, like pre-Hodgson, those core values were consistent throughout Liverpool Football Club for decades, you know, no matter which manager was was switched in or switched out, because the transition was seamless, because we generally promoted from within, those core values were always consistent and there were always players there from previous generations and previous regimes to help pass that on to the new players coming in as well as the management. You go from, you know, you go from Paisley, or sorry, you go from Shankly through to Paisley, through to Fagan, right through Douglas, Sunez, Evans. Evans, you know, and that consistency is always there. And that's that's one thing that 
that has helped give this club the identity that it has. And, you know, once Evans went and Julier came in, things did change and things were different. And then and then we get Rafa and Rafa Rafa kind of gets it as well. You know, Rafa kind of gets it. Um, and Julier kind of got it too. You know, he was he was a, a, a student in Liverpool and he understood he understood that. Start flip-flopping from Benitez to Hodgson and so on and so forth and owners change and that, hands. That's where and I feel the discipline was lost, Dave. Maybe are you yeah. the discipline as a club? Absolutely, because there were no there were no core values there. There were no there was no consistent message being given. Things were started and not finished. One rule came in, another rule came out. And if you've ever worked in a business environment, you know teams teams don't function very well if there's a high manager turnover. It's as simple as that, and that's a fact. And there'll be statistics out there to prove that. If you have a consistent manager with a consistent message, then that's where you'll get a high-performing team. So that's my personal opinion on that. And, and Klopp has managed to, in a very short period of time, if we reflect on where we originally built those core values up from has managed to instill something not exactly the same but certainly closely resembling what we had before without a doubt but you know when we, when we break this all down dave you know is it any wonder what Klopp took over there was a complete disconnect between everything at the club and he and he had to start right basically from the roots upwards well absolutely and that's why you brought him in and you know chief chief mentioned it earlier on that that, that he had the same problem at Dortmund, and for me, I meant to ask this, ask this earlier on, Chief. When we see Klopp in the media and we hear him in press conferences and interviews and things, and you know, there's certain things that he says, and there's certain recurring themes, and there's certain ways that he behaves at certain times. Is that similar to the way he was in Germany? Do you see real close parallels and similarities there? And I think bearing in mind as well what Dave mentioned earlier on that. You can become a very different person when when you switch from your first language to to a, a secondary language. The funny thing about Klopp is, is he speaks. He's, he has a completely different voice when he speaks German compared to when he speaks English, and of course, a totally different accent. And you know, he speaks through a different part of his part of his mouth. Even like you know, he speaks English. He's got this really kind of deep voice that you know, kind of. You know, and and he's quite cool in how he speaks. But when he speaks German, he speaks with the, like a, a Schwabian accent. So that comes like really through the teeth, and he's almost like a spitting words out. So it's it's quite different. You know, you, you sometimes hear press conferences, and the odd time there's uh, for for um, Champions League or whatever, there'll be a a question asked in German, and he'll answer in German, and it'll just like be spoken over. You can sort of sort of hear it, so it is quite funny, like to 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 sort of hear the difference. I suppose a little bit. I mean, the press in Germany is very different. I mean, you, certainly at his time, you don't really need to kind of court them as much. You know, they're a little bit more respectful anyway, generally, or they they were certainly um, a few years ago when when Klopp was managing. And but but he did have that image, like he he did have that image in Germany, sort of the young up and coming coach. Obviously, he did really well at Mainz. As I said, that was the first time they'd, they'd been in the Bundesliga, so it was a really big deal. And not only that, he actually got them into Europe, and I think he got them to, like, the quarterfinals or something stupid of the UEFA Cup, something like that, or or maybe it was the Europa League. Even He, he actually lost a two-legged game in Europe, Neil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, with Mainz. Mainz, Mainz is a small town. You know, German football is... 
uh, you know, it's, it's the big clubs that dominate. But, uh, mine's are, at the moment, they're sort of a mainstay of the Bundesliga, but they're perennially just finishing just above the relegation places. Like, and he, he, he got them there for the first time, got them into the Bundesliga, and he'd obviously played there as well. So he was up and coming. A lot of clubs wanted him and or were interested in him. And it was one of those where who was going to take a punt on him or who was prepared because he was... Um, Unorthodox in inverted commas. I I think he went for a, a, a an interview at Hamburg for the job. I think it was Hamburg, and at the time they were a mainstay of the Bundesliga. I don't think that they've been one of the biggest clubs in Germany historically, and they'd kind of been there in the top flight forever. And you know they they needed to revive their fortunes a little bit. They'd been on a you know they hadn't been doing so well. So but Klopp apparently turned up at the interview and like. They apparently didn't want to give him the job because he uh, he was in jeans and stuff. And then, of course, he went to Dortmund and, you know, they gave him the job and, you know, the rest is history. Hamburg are now in the second Bundesliga and, um, you know, a fallen giant. Dortmund, you know, won the, won the Bundesliga a couple of times and, and got a Champions League final. Yeah, I mean, he was good with the press. He's very, he's, he's likable. He's, you know, he's not... In is, is him, is him 10, he doesn't do 10,000 endorsements for nothing. Brands want to use him to sell things because people like him. It's simple. He's in the, He does so much, so much commercial work in Germany in terms of, of advertisements and, and around the world. It, it's not quite true. And there's a reason for that. Was he pushing the same sort of messages with regards to the disenchantment of the fans as he was at Liverpool when he was at uh, Dortmund? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It was this, it was a, it was basically the same. A similar kind of idea. It wasn't quite as toxic. Listen, coming in to Liverpool at that time, you're literally you're coming off the back of disenchantment. The era. <laughs> well look at not just that. You're coming off the back of years. You're coming off the back of a decade of it. You know, Rafa was 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 all was gone when he won the Champions League and, and when he almost almost won the league. But by the time he actually left in two thousand ten, half the fan base was hated him for some reason and wanted him gone. So you've got that. Then we go into then we go into Hodgson, which was a fucking disaster. You've got Hicks and Gillette all rolled in. Then you've got Kenny, who was, you know, we got a good bump off him, but by the end of that, we were like, fucking hell, you know, we, we, we were pretty shit. Then after that, you've got Rodgers, and, you know, nobody, would, the fan base was divided on Rodgers from day one, and rightly so, and it was always going to be because he had no pedigree. He had absolutely no pedigree. He was really, really young. And to be fair to him, he, he, did, he didn't do a bad job. He was helped a little bit by circumstance, but he did a pretty good job for a while. But after it went wrong, it went really wrong. And because it went so wrong, it was so easy for a lot of people, and myself included, I got well fucked off by the end because he, he stayed too long. And by the end, we were, half of us, we were at war. We, we were absolutely at war, you know. Which is the point I'm tra- saying about what's translating into the, what's happening in the stadium. Who, And, and from what I know, they were they were less vocal about Rodgers than we were, but there was there was war in the stadium as well. The war in the stadium, we're, we're staging walkouts towards the beginning of Klopp's reign because of ticket prices. 
half the fan base at that time probably maybe that's a slight exaggeration but a large proportion are very unsure about fsg because rogers is fsg's man fsg are they're americans like uh they're a bit like well they're obviously not as bad as hicks and gillette but but how do we know and there's no presence here and who who's running the club and ian air is still involved and what the fuck is going on and all of a sudden they go and get Jurgen Klopp, and he comes in, and you know he tackles it. He tackles it from the ground up. Basically, he understands there's a reason why he's taking the Liverpool job in the first place. One of the biggest reasons is because they're they're literally the biggest club in the world. They have the biggest fan base. They have a legendary stadium which has a fabled atmosphere. And the the thing thing is, at the time, it was a fable because the atmosphere was shite. And we said it for years. There were shows about it. On our fucking uh, on on our platform, whatever we we're on at the time, and on various other ones, the Anfield Rap and all of them doing shows about how bad the atmosphere at Anfield is, and referencing them constantly. And he basically come in, and he's, he's he's he he knows that he needs the fans on board. He knows what a massive difference it makes when you've got everybody pulling in the same direction. You know, we saw it ourselves watching Man United growing up, the number of late goals, the number of times you're going, fuck's sake, they've done it again. But the fans believed. Fans believed going into the 90th minute when they're 2-1 down that they're going to win the game 3-2. And we we felt, we literally felt that if we went a goal down with 20 minutes to go, we'd probably lose the game. So it's a massive, massive difference. And he, what he wanted to make us was a 90-minute team what he wanted to make, um, or, or a team that would at least fight for the night till till the final whistle goes, and what he needed from the fans was for the fans to buy into that. And it took took a while, took six months, took maybe more. But Three he was years a long time, Neil. You know, he, he he was fighting against the tide. To be fair, he was, when he came in, you know, absolutely. But he was able to back it up again with evidence, and he was able to. You know, the West Brom thing that we mentioned right back at the start was huge because we were a goal down at least one. I think we were a goal down with 10 minutes to go and nobody left the stadium. Instead, there was wave after wave, pretty much a Liverpool attack. And it took us until the 93rd minute or something stupid. And Divock Origi was the first, it was the first of Divi's big goals. And it was a big, ridiculous effort, I think, from about 25 yards. And it gets deflected and it goes in. And it's unbelievable. It's un- The crowd goes nuts. And therefore, we go to them. We say, look, look what fucking happens when you stay, when you believe. And that's the beginning of it. And it goes from there. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's short-sighted punditry. And it's 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 shallow punditry going. Oh, we are celebrating a two-two against West Brom. That's not how we do things in this country. Or you know, Jurgen's got the big picture in mind. It's not the fact that you've drawn with West Brom. It's the fact that this is a little stepping stone in the big process of showing the fans, of showing the team what can happen when everybody is in the same on the same page, fighting for the same thing, and the atmosphere positive, and there's belief in a stadium. And you've seen that again and again as things have gone on. And he did the same at Dortmund. He built it up through evidence. He showed them, when this, when you do this, we do that. 
And Can I add something? This is uh, reminds me of uh, of an experiment a colleague of mine uh, did at uh, the University of Groningen, which is it's very interesting. She she did an experiment with uh, with a, with a group of dancers who had two choreographies. One would would which looked quite chaotic. You know, uh, the dancers were doing all their individual routines, etc. Uh, and and the other was in which the dancers did a choreography together, in which they had to rely on each other and had to do things together. The, the experiment part is that in in both conditions, the the spectators were after the uh, this performance were asked to do uh, some sort of task in which they needed to cooperate. And uh, what what these experiments consistently showed was that uh, in, uh, in in the condition that they had watched a performance performed by individual dancers, uh, it took them much longer to get to cooperate and to do the task. Uh, and, and when they had uh, witnessed and seen uh, a dance in which the dancers were cooperating, uh, the audience afterwards doing their own task were much quicker to work, cooperate. So it, this is this is the science behind it. You can uh, elicit uh, cooperation, a togetherness, uh, a, a feeling together, of feeling that you you can uh, you know a feeling that you can be efficacious in, in doing tasks, uh, even if it's supporting a team. When you witness <laughs> others doing this very well, so if you look and see the uh, the Liverpool team cooperating very well, it gives the supporters the feeling that they can achieve something as well and they will probably react to it and 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 you know this is how you build an atmosphere it's 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 a two-way street i i thought i i'd i'd mention that because you know it, it's it's no coincidence this works Beryl, i'm just curious you, you know we, we find ourselves obviously the position we find ourselves in today we've we've gone down memory lane over the last four years and the and the high club has built this machine that, that we, we witness today whenever they play. And what, what, in your opinion, would be his psychology in maintaining this uh, long-term, keeping this project uh, moving at the pace that he wants to? And keep and, and I think most importantly is the buy-in from, from 20-odd players. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not talking about, you know, tiercy, but you're talking about a group of 20 players. And it only takes, in my opinion, it only takes one person to be dissatisfied or or start revolving a different direction the rest of the group and, and the, the whole dynamic can fall apart and that's the risk of it but what what what's, what does Klopp need to do to maintain this a group dynamics is is the holy grail in in, in team sports of course so th- there there is no recipe that works for all groups but uh, you know th- there are several things he does we have talked in to great lengths in, in him being genuine that's 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 the first you need to do you need to convince the group that you, everything you say is what you mean and what you will do. Uh, the second part is uh, is uh, w- we've talked about uh, Mamadou Sako being removed. Is that you need to and it, this may sound a, a little disrespectful, but weed out the personalities that don't fit in that mold that you are trying to to make. Uh, this this doesn't only involve weeding players out, but also you know the the the, the types of personalities you you. You recruit, and I think this is a, a, a big part of what they what the, the recruitment is about as well. You know, you can measure how many passes uh, players give, and 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 you know how how quick they run, etc. This is all 
uh, objectively be measurable, but you also need to look uh, in how they will fit into the uh, the existing group. And and I think there is a uh, there is a balance in this group. Uh, we've mentioned Shakiri before. He 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 is dissatisfied, and 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 rightly so. You know, he he is a a, a, a sportsman, a football player in in his prime, probably, and uh, but you know, uh, still not good enough to to get uh, much game time. And this this that must be frustrating. He he needs to, uh, and he probably does buy in to the fact that that the group is functioning well, and so he needs to. Uh, be satisfied with his role as uh, as a, a substitute. I, I think there there are several mechanisms at play here with which Klopp and his team and the club and the group itself manages to maintain the cohesion. And and, and of course, winning breeds cohesion as well. So if, if things were going wrong, then it's it's easier to be dissatisfied and, and to find other players who agree with your assessment that the, that the manager is doing something wrong um, and, and now we are um, being successful it's 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 it will be uh, hard to uh, even if you are dissatisfied to to, to convince the other players that, that you know that uh, that the manager is shite or something I don't know if it's a study thing or something or if it if it's something he 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 can do because he is emotionally intelligent. He he obviously is, of course, but he's very good at at convincing the players that they need to put the the group first. Uh, and you know, which also means that you know, Gini uh, Wijnaldum scores uh, plenty in. The, and I, I don't want to uh, delve into uh, uh, something that would, might frustrate uh, the, the three of you, but. You know, Gini Van Aldum scores lots of goals when he's in, in an orange jersey uh, and he doesn't score much goals w- when he's playing for Liverpool. And that's probably because of the role he's he needs to play. He needs to cover for uh, Robertson. He needs to cover for, uh, if he plays on the right side, for, for, for Trent. Uh, he needs to cover for Mane and for Ursala. So they're doing uh, much of the dirty work, which means he, he doesn't shine and he doesn't score many goals. And in and sometimes he even needs to sit on the bench. And I, I know he was very frustrated to to not play against uh, Barcelona uh, after uh, being put in uh, Firmino's place in the away game. So he was very frustrated. And that's also a sacrifice you need to make for the team. That's what this is all about. And because they're successful, it's easy. So I really don't hope that we need to, that we get to see what happens when they're not successful. But on the other side, you could say they are successful because they uh, do those uh, do this sacrifice, and and they probably only want players in that will that are willing to be that uh, humble. You could, you could say, and 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 that are willing to to put the team first. I think that's the secret. No, absolutely agree totally. And and Dave, uh, you know, we're running on time here. I just I want to bring you in on this and. A lot was made, and there was a lot of hot air blowing over the, over the summer when we didn't sign anybody really, and and you know we we signed a few kids, and and I'm just wondering how much of that is down to 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 not risking the group dynamic. I, I know we've spoken about it in the past, and 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 whatnot, but just listen to Beryl here. It sort of jumps into my head that you know maybe maybe the, the, the no signings were better than than a signing that could possibly sort of you know take time to adapt and everything. I think everything was just moving in the right direction for this season. And, you know, in hindsight, again, is a wonderful thing, Dave. But, you know, look at where we are at the minute. Um, you know, there's a long season. We have a long way to go yet. But he's sort of indicated. There's loads of different ways to look at this. We can discuss the 
proposed and and suggested massive transfer we're going to do next summer and we're we're holding our cards close to your chest maybe we just didn't see the value out there yes there's there's the personality aspect that plays certainly which it's uh, obviously a massive part of of their recruitment profiling and you look at players that we've signed and you look at how they fitted in everybody loves Shakiri everybody loves Robertson but he's also signed leaders and captains and marketable players. personalities well personalities that you know you, you talk about that like old you talk about that like old old Ferguson adage that none of Ferguson's players were ever in the paper well none of Liverpool's players were ever in the paper and we saw the the gesture of protection that the club made for Lovren when the proposed um story was going to come out about about him in a, a an unnamed newspaper, let's say, um, and Klopp, you know, went out there in front of the press, in front of the, the country, and said, "I'm not going to talk to you because you know what you're going to do regarding one of my players in the next few days. So I'm not talking to you, and I will not talk to you for uh, moving forward at all. You can sit and listen, but I'm not going to talk to you." And he will ensure that his players are kept safe but with that trust they buy back in and you just don't hear anything about them ever so the other thing that might be he might have just looked at that team and I might have just called him into, called him into the, the change room and said guys you know what I don't need to add to this group because I trust you all I, I have everything I need here because I know you're good enough to go out and you're good enough to win the league and you're good enough to win the Champions League again and that I'm sure you know gives them all the confidence in the world. But we can sit and we can speculate all day long, and at the end of the day, the the proof will be in the pudding. I think it's I think it's probably a more interesting conversation around players that he hasn't sold and why he hasn't sold them. And we might not have time to get into that now. Chief might be able to weigh on this as to why Jordan Henderson's captain, why James Milner's still at the club and vice captain, why. Is Adam Lallana and Dejan Lovren still there? I can Contracts. only assume it's. Well, I can only assume it's it's because of something that they're doing on off the pitch rather than on the pitch. That Klopp obviously values. They're showing the right see. attitude. Clearly, clearly, Adam Lallana applies himself with the right attitude in training, and that's the reason why he's. You know, we know that he would have happily been jettisoned this uh, in the summer. But he didn't want to go, and Liverpool are well. I have to keep him sweet. He he proved, you know, he he's a part of the group. He has been part of the group whenever he's fit, and and you know, I think that comes into it as well, Dave. You know, he's someone who we know, who you know, who obviously Klopp trusts, maybe not to play, but you know, to be in the group, he he's trustworthy. And why jettison that to bring in something that might imbalance you a little bit? Yeah, I think we I think we as fans sometimes confuse the most important player in the team with the most important person in the group. And you know, who would Liverpool be more who would the Liverpool players You're gonna go be? Vincent Company here. I know you're gonna mention No, 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 no. I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna go Vincent Company. I'm I'm just it's just the question is if you're a part of a group, regardless of whoever's performances, you'll have people who you will look to, you'll have people who you will favour and people who you're closer to and blah blah blah. And that person might not necessarily be the best person in the team. They might not even be close to being the best person in the team. We look at the 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 the, the people in the team that we wouldn't want to see go because they're the best players. But who would the group not want to see leave? Is Adam Lallana somebody 
that nobody wants to see leave the club. None of the players. In fact, they'd be devastated if they left the club. I don't know. I suppose that's the that's the thing that we don't necessarily think about, and that plays into Klopp's thinking around. I am if I'm going to make a decision to sell somebody, it's not just what they do in the pitch that I have to consider here. It's what they give me throughout the entire rest of the season, which isn't the 90 minutes, which to be honest, if you're talking about working together in a group dynamic and creating uh, an environment where people can thrive and succeed, that's 95% of the time is when they're not on the pitch. So what's more important? No, absolutely. I think keeping them engaged. And I'll just give Neil a, a final word on this. Uh, you know, what, what your thoughts on it are. You know, Dave makes a point there. I, I, I'm sort of retorting with it. That, in my opinion, I think the devil you know is better than the devil you don't in some circumstances. And, and, and that's why we've seen our recruitment work work the way it has. And, and you know, clearly there was going to be nobody coming in if, if Aladdin Lallana had gone this season. So in hindsight, as I say, our heads were dropping off in, in, at the end of August. But in hindsight, and the way things are going, Neil, you're, you're kind of happy, aren't you? I don't think anyone's heads were really dropping off. I think everyone just wanted an extra one. Yeah, we wanted to kick on. We felt we needed to kick on. Because of last season. season. I think it was because, only because of last season and because of how close it was. And we just thought, well, you know, maybe. But I don't think anyone was really, well, certainly not on, on in our group, was, was kicking off and going, we're, we're going to be fucked. We were saying, oh, what happens if this and that? But, you know, you're going into a season and you're, you know, you're, you're expecting, you have fan goggles on, so you're expecting the team you're up against to be invincible, Man City, and for nothing to go wrong with them at all and for them not to get any injuries and, and blah, blah, blah. And you're not really taking properly into consideration the realities of what's going on with with them, you're just purely looking at blinkers at your own club and going, yeah, it would be nice to have to have one more. So far, everything is, is has been absolutely fine in that regard. And you know, we did also say before the season started this, we had Naby Kaida coming back, we had Oxley Chamberlain coming back. These are two players who hardly featured at all last season. And to be honest, they haven't actually been integrated back into the into the first team yet for for a couple of reasons, various reasons. So I mean, you've still got that anyway, as a bit of a, a you know, as a bit of a, a boost to your squad if you if you should need it. Yeah, I think the thing about selling and and buying is that they they're not going to move players on who they're quite happy with, who do a, a quite you know a, a pretty good job, who know the club, who are settled, who know the system, who know what it you know what club expects, who are good professionals. For no good reason, they're not. They're not going to let them go for nothing. They're not going to let them go unless it suits the club. They're not going to let them go unless there's a big enough offer that comes in that you know that would turn the head of the club or turn the head of the player. And you know the players in question are all on decent contracts, and they're all they all play their part, and they all have played their part in this entire project. And why would they? Why would they really want to leave when they have? A, there's a good chance. And there was probably a good feeling in the camp before the season started that we would go on and have a really good chance of winning the league this year, especially after what happened with the Champions League and we've referenced it already, coming runner up and then and then winning it the, the year after and kind of looking like looking from the very start that we were going to win it almost, you know, okay, we struggled through it and whatever, limped through, but nobody really expected us not to go through the group. 
You know, I think it was, there was always almost a bit of complacency involved there, and especially in that Red Star result. Why would you want to leave? You've been part of the project for for four years. Why would you want to leave now when you're about to perhaps get your league winners medal? When you're on a good contract, when you're doing well, when you're part of one of the most successful clubs in Europe, when when the when the training environment is great, when you're mates with everyone there, when your family is settled, why would you want to leave? And if you don't want to leave, why would the club want to sell you when they're getting what they need from you? When you need to be called on, you're there. You're you're showing a good attitude and training. You're helping the younger lads. All, all the rest of it, everything that goes along with it. So it is all part of group dynamic. There's no need to upset the apple cart when it's not required. Uh, all the players involved, all the players you've referenced, and, you know, the Lalan is whatever. We may have our opinions, but they've all shown and they've all proved that they've been uh, that they they can play a part and they have played a part in in the whole journey and where we are now. They haven't reached the end of it, and for some players who aren't on the first team packing order and and you know aren't going to be considered, you know maybe they would they would decide right we're off. But I think as we've been talking about the buy in and all the rest of it, these are players who've been there since Klopp came in. The Lalanas, the Lovrens, you know, they they're pre, they predate club, and they've been slated and whatever. So for them to be part of a of a of a group that wins Liverpool's first ever Premier League, for them if that were to happen, and for them already to be Champions League winners for Liverpool, they go they're going from what could, they could have been potentially zeros, and they're gonna be they're gonna at least be remembered in almost as legends, if not not legends, then certainly parts of a legendary set, a legendary group, a legendary squad. No, it's a fair point. But listen, we've, we've rambled on, we're a, we're a mile over time here. Um, so I think at this point we'll bring it to a halt. We've other pods out which cover the next five games, the United game, all, all uh, there's a number of back pods there if you, if you want to go back through them. Um, for some reason, people are listening to part two and not part one of our, our, our last pod. I, weird, strange numbers. I don't know. SoundCloud is a weird place. That's all I'm saying. But listen, just one last thanks to the guys. Special thanks to Beryl for bringing us maybe a, a, a different kind of an insight into, into the way that, uh, that modern football operates and, and maybe the, the thinking behind it and, and, and maybe the mind games that go on with it. So just thanks again for that. And thanks to the guys as always. Thanks to you, the listener, for joining us. And we will be back after we give United a good kicking at the weekend. Up our heads. Walk on, walk on, with a hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone, you'll never walk alone. Long, long, long.